Welcome back to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. This week on the show, we have Paul Seeley, the Talent High Performance Manager at the Australian Football League. Prior to working in the AFL, Paul was a strength and conditioning coach at the Texas A&M University and has worked at the Eastern Rangers, as well as being a lecturer at the Australian Catholic University. So he's got great experience in the strength and conditioning field. Before we start episode 47 with Paul, the Prepare Like a Pro podcast mission is to empower aspiring athletes and staff with practical knowledge from some of the industry's most inspiring individuals and to strengthen the AFL community. If you like the show, please show your support by following us on Instagram and by subscribing to the web, the uh, podcast. We are on YouTube, iTunes, and Spotify. Thanks for logging on, guys. Remember, if you want to send through a question for Paul, just hit the question button at the bottom of your screen. Bear with me. I'm just going to send Paul a invite to join us. There he is. That was quick. I was having a little bit of internet trouble. Apologies. I'm, I'm on. I should be online now. No, that's perfect, mate. That's uh, one of the quickest, most seamless transitions I've had. So. Oh, I try my hardest. Thanks for jumping on, mate. We'll, we'll dive straight into the good stuff, the questions. Take us back to the beginning. At what age did you recognise you had a passion for, for fitness, strength and conditioning? Always loved sport. I, I swam at a, a pretty high level age group and, and open nationals in Australia and was going to go down that route of being a swim coach, got involved in exercise physiology at Australian Catholic University, did an um, honours year there, decided I was going to go down the academic route. So I decided to travel overseas. Didn't really have a, a huge passion in strength conditioning at that stage. I did yeah. a little bit of work in the gym, but it was a lot of sales and I, I preferred the coaching side of things. When I went to the US to do my sort of master's slash PhD, decided I didn't want to get stuck in a lab you know, with rats. So I started working in the, um, the gym at, at A&M and some of the most elite athletes, you know, going around. And it was, you know, you test, you train, you retest. And to me, that was the, the pinnacle of human performance. And that's what really sort of got me excited. And I was really lucky to have some great mentors there that sort of helped me along my way. And so I was probably 22 and just volunteered as much as I possibly could. Started, you know, I started to train my, change my body a little bit. I went from a swimmer's physique to, you know, I started dabbling a little bit of powerlifting, a little bit of Olympic lifting. And just, just started the passion going that way. Yeah, fantastic. Okay, so so started the industry potentially as a swim coach, and then you mentioned you did some sales. How did that come about? Was that just to support your study? No, it's, so it's it's more like you know you work in the gym, and you, you half of the the gym is to trying to get someone you know just the local health club, and it's just it was more around sales and trying to keep retention and those type of things. Where I just wanted gotcha. to train athletes, it wasn't that wasn't yep. what what really piqued me. And going into the college system, that you didn't have to worry about that. It was just. You know, you'd warm them up, you'd train them, and you'd had an opportunity with some, some of the most amazing elite athletes out there. The college system's a little bit different. You can control all their training. They live there on campus, so you're not having to worry about other sports and other commitments. You can sort of really delve in and train at a very high level. Right, gotcha. Okay, so that was that first taste of working with elite athletes opposed to sort of general. No, well and truly. You know, and yeah. like I said, I did a little bit of swim coaching. Always had a passion for coaching and knew that was sort of, that's what sort of floated my boat a little bit that you, you kind of get excited about and what gets you up and, and just it's just life takes you in different directions and you just got to grasp it with both hands. Yeah, absolutely. And, and on that note, there'll be a few developing strength and conditioning coaches, no doubt, that are studying and, and wanting to work in the field that you've now done and still doing. How did it come to you? Was that something that through the university that you got that opportunity or how did you get that connection? So as I said, I, I did my undergraduate at Australian Catholic University, did an honours year and I was all gung-ho to go that academic route and most of the professors that I studied with had studied overseas and it really encouraged me. And I was going to look at Canada, but before I, before I did that, I did a, a backpack through the US, did a little summer camp and saw the sporting facilities they had in America. And I was like, you know what, I really want, I want to work with this. So I went just 
went to school there and I was just, a lot of it was just good timing. And part of my master's degree was I had to do a semester of training. So to learn to be a strength coach, part of the, the, the system they had set up over there was you actually have to train like an athlete. So you understand what it felt like to be in a max effort strength, you know, strengths phase, how that, how you can do your running, your conditioning at the same time. Got exposed to all the, you know, the Olympic lifts, which I hadn't had a lot of exposure to prior to going to the US. And that was how that sort of eventuated. And I just loved it. And I was, I was in the weight room so much that they ended up giving me a job after I graduated. I was just, I said, we went from going for three full-time coaches to nine within sort of 18 months. And the timing was good, but I'd like to say that because I was in there cleaning the weight room and helping out and volunteering as much as I could, opportunities yeah. come open for you when you do those things. Yeah, absolutely. And and how different, you mentioned already with the Olympic lifting, but how different is the college system to, let's say, a high school or university system in, in Australia? Night and day, like the facilities, you know, the, some of the AFL clubs have great facilities, but they were yeah. dwarf. You know, we had three weight rooms and each weight room had 16 platforms with all the bells yeah, and whistles wow. and it's, you know, we had 650 athletes in the college system that trained on a daily, yearly basis. And then there was another gym just for the general population. So, and all the sports in the US are predominantly power-based. So, you know, basketball, baseball, football. I did a lot of work with soccer as well. So that, they get exposed to a lot of the Olympic lifts and a lot of the powerlifting side of things in high school. And even some of the high schools in the US have better facilities than some of the, you know, the universities or even some of the professional in, in, in Australia. It was an amazing experience to me. They, they understand probably speed and power a little bit more in Australia. We tend to, we're, we're probably stronger on the sports science and load management. They've got a sheer volume of numbers. You know, you've got 100 and, 105 to 120 on a football team. If you break a couple down because you've, you've yeah, maybe overloaded them, that's okay. But, you know, in Australia, if you've gone through an Olympic cycle and you've, you've knocked off one or two of the top guys, that's your whole Olympic cycle going out. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That's where the sports science in Australia is so much further ahead. And, and they are catching up very quickly in the US, but they, they, they spend a lot more time in speed and power, particularly running technique at a young age, whereas yeah. we tend to just do a bit more volume because just the, the sports that we play, and they probably spend a little bit more time actually working on the running mechanics at an earlier age. And do you think at this stage of your career, looking back now, that helped shape a lot of your skill sets and tools that you can use as a coach now working as oh, well and Julie, I was really fortunate. I said when I was in the US, we had one of the, the top track programs in the country. So I would just go out there and just be a sponge to the coaches and just listen and learn and watch and learn from the experts in the field and just even going to different sports and seeing how they do it, how they communicate. And, you know, there's a lot of, you know, I spend a lot of time mentoring coaches these days and a lot of them are far smarter than me with more degree, but it's how do you get that communication across to the athlete? How do you inspire them at six in the morning to do stuff that they really don't want to do? And how, how can you articulate that to a coach or to a doctor and, and speak, you know, the different levels? And that was a big part of my growth in the US, just getting out of my comfort zone. As I said, I hadn't really exposed myself to Olympic lifting. I got an intern and he, I said, look, teach me. And I just, I started training myself just to learn what it was like and you just got to be a sponge, just find the, the best people in the industry and, and learn from So when did that transition into working with footy? Was there a few roles in between or did you, I know Eastern Rangers, you did some work? Uh, yeah, so as I said, I spent 14 years in the college system. Yep. Just decided it was time to move back to Australia. Um, my wife and I just wanted to spend a bit of time around some family in Australia. We've got some family in the US, but wanted to give the kids just a little different lifestyle for a little bit. So I just sort of took the plunge and moved back to Australia. It's funny, I interviewed for the job at Eastern Rangers and the guy was looking through my 
CV. He was like, what are you doing? I was like, I just want to coach. I've just got to get okay. some AFL experience. So that led me. I really enjoyed it. It was good fun just getting out there. And I understood the game of football, but it was nice to have that on the resume. And I was there for three or four months and I got a tap on the shoulder and got a job at AFL Vic. And then after that, moved across the AFL and have been there for almost six years now. Fantastic. And for those that are not aware of what your role is at the AFL, do you want to explain a little bit on what you do and what your role entails? Yeah, I wear a lot of hats these days, but uh, essentially yeah. I'm, the, I'm the high performance manager look, overseeing all the talent. So we've, yeah. we have our National Academy program. So we've got 30 boys and, and sort of 25 girls. So I look after them on a yearly basis, managing AMS system, smarter base that we use for all the talent pathways. I think we've got about 5,000 athletes on it nationally. I oversee a lot of the GPS and also all the combine tests. So all the, you know, all the, the pre-season testing, I'll go around, audit it to make sure it's done correctly, collate all that data and forward that onto the AFL clubs. And then also with the combine, looking after, excuse me, yeah. looking after yeah. all the medical side of things, collating all that data and then also all the testing data for combine. So as I said, I wear, wear a lot of different hats now. I probably a little less on the tools as a strength conditioning coach and a lot more in stakeholder management and just the management side of things. Yeah, okay, interesting. And, and so those 25, 30 boys and girls, how often would you see them and what sort of information are the, are the NAP clubs relaying back to you? In a normal year, which again, it's yeah. normal year, it's hard to say. We would have had probably two or three camps in January, December and January. And then we just can't, I've just actually come off two lots of camps with the boys and the girls. So this year's been a little bit different. We've had to get creative and do a lot of web WebEx meetings, just informal stuff. I'm going to start sending out a whole lot of just little infographic, one-page nutritional or strength stuff just to keep them engaged throughout the year. This year has been a little bit crazy, but the idea is just to get the programs up and running. It's not, not hasn't been perfect, but we're just trying to find a way. And it's probably spent a lot more time liaising with the, the NAB leagues and the samples and the waffles. They're the ones that work with the athletes on a day-to-day basis, just to make sure that they're tracking along right. If we need any medical attention, um, I'll check on their programs. And it's, it's actually a good way for me to branch out and mentor and assist some of the aspiring coaches coming through the system as well. And that's yeah, probably the biggest absolutely. part of my, my role now is more coaching the coaches rather than actually getting the hands dirty. Yeah, nice. So that's a, that's a nice touch that the AFL do in, in developing future S&Cs, particularly with someone like yourself that has had that experience in, in different sports. Are they? Is it quite informal? Do, do, does the NAB League coaches reach out to you and it's a bit of a two-way sort of conversation or is it something that you're regularly catching up with those coaches like on another? It's, a lot of it's informal. I get a lot of them reach out to me and just want to have a coffee or pick my brains. Really lucky I've got a really good network of high-performance guys in each of the states that I employ and I probably talk to them at least once on the phone, you know, once a week on the phone, touch base with them, share an office with Matty Glossop who looks after the Victorian ones they probably do a little bit more hands-on within the regions. But again, I'm always a, a resource for them to pick up the phone, have a bit of a chat. And when there's issues, I'll, I'll touch base to them. I'll look at a rehab program or a strength program just to make sure they've got appropriate load. Yeah, right. Fantastic. And it must help, like you mentioned, having the GPS and wellness, these technologies now where you can oversee and have and be able to see what the athletes are doing. Is, is that a requirement of every club now? They've got, I imagine, Team yeah. Builder, it seems like that's being used as well. No, well and truly. So obviously there's the yeah. AMS system and that's the only way from, you know, when I sit in the head office at AFL House that I can see these players throughout the country. So if they flag a soreness or an injury or a wellness, usually I'll shoot them a text or a call just to find out what's going on. If their mood's low or they're they're not sleeping, I may follow that up with a wellbeing person in each of the states just to find out what's going on. So that's the requirement for the National Academy, but all the state academies are also get on it. And then also a lot of the NAB League teams are utilizing that. We also have GPS. I've got sort of 
205 units that I distribute throughout the country. So one, we can find out what's going in. But as mm-hmm. one of the requirements is the AFL clubs want that data as well. So we actually get a lot of data and make that available. We sort of, everyone uploads that onto the back end of my computer and then the AFL clubs can download all the, the CTR or the raw files and make their analysis for the draft. And then obviously a lot of, lot of the, the programs are using Team Builder within the state. So it's a good way to roll that out and have a bit of an oversight of what they're doing. Yeah, and they're really getting a real taste for, for the AFL then and it helps their transition, doesn't it, the athletes? Well, that's a big part of what our role is. We're, the, we're pathways. We're not just for players. We're also for staff. So whether that's a football coach, a, a doctor, a physio, a trainer, a, a strength conditioning, a sports scientist, trying to, trying to give them that exposure to open field using GPS, which is the same as what they're going to use in AFL or whether that's team builder or whether it's just using the AMS system or for the docs and physios, just understanding you know, the sport, the, the game of that. And we've, we've been very fortunate. A lot of the docs and physios that have come through our pathways are now in the AFL. Yeah. You've mentioned along the way the experiences and how you've learned off, off guys that have, you know, got a talent or, or a skill set that, that you've wanted to implement into your coaching. So obviously your work ethic has been something that is a strong suit. Are there other ways that you've also developed yourself over the years for, for developing SCs in terms of reading books or workshops? Or do you think it, you're a strong believer simply putting in the time? I put in the time for any young aspiring coaches out there. You've got a coach. It doesn't matter what you're coaching. It's how you communicate, how you get that message across. So it doesn't matter what level you, you're doing. You need to make sure you're doing some type of coaching. I'd also strongly suggest that writing programs and then actually doing the programs yourself. And that way you can actually look at it and say, look, this is what it feels like. Or, oh, wow, that was way too much to put into a program. And I'm constantly yeah. doing that. So with, with myself, and that was one of the things I had a really strong group of of coaches I actually trained with in the US and we would read different things about conjugated training or diff, just all different type of methodologies and a lot of time we experimented on ourselves before yeah. we did it on an athlete just so we knew exactly what they were feeling how they could tolerate the loads what what the running on top of that would look like and they're probably the biggest things and then just finding good mentors or finding other coaches out there that you can bounce ideas off and you know we've all made mistakes if we can learn off somebody else's mistake and that way we don't make it themselves you know, particularly a lot of the experienced coaches that's been around the block a few times, a few ideas of what works and what doesn't work. And again, you just got to be a sponge. You know, I, I can't, I'd love to say I've revolutionized different things, but really I've just pulled different things from every different program and put it together and have a good rationale of why I do it. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, thanks, mate. That's, thanks for sharing. Have there been, are there guys that pop up front of mind when you think of people that have helped your journey along the way in terms of having mentors? No, yeah, I, was, I said I was really lucky when I joined Texas A&M. We had Mike Clark, who, who was only there for probably about three or four years, and then he went on to the Seattle Seahawks and the Kansas City Chiefs, and he, he's been in and out of the NFL system for quite a long time. And just learning off him in terms of, you know, he'd read a lot of the Eastern Bloc literature, a lot of super training, and, and put a lot of that theory into place. And he was a massive believer in Olympic lifting and speed and strength development, which was something a little bit new to me. I had another coach over there who I trained with, Ray Scheller, one of the strongest women that I've ever trained with and checked my ego at the yeah. door when I trained with her. But she was so smart in terms of the way she she communicate and inspire her athletes. But even just the way, you know, thinking outside the box in terms of program design. So, you know, we'd spend hours, one, training ourselves, but just talking during training about different philosophies. So I was really fortunate with those and I've been lucky to, to, to come across some really good speed coaches and hurdle coaches and jumps coaches and just taking little bits from, from them, how, how they put together, but not necessarily 
just from strength and conditioning, you know, looking mm. at basketball coaches or football coaches and how they can actually inspire and communicate with, with the athletes as well. As, as Sure, sure. And then for the for developing footballers that are listening in, what are some of your key areas that you focus on when you're working with, with a developing footballer? It's quite a general That's, question, but... How much time have you got? I can sit on my... But yeah. No, the yeah. biggest thing for me is I don't care yeah. whether you're in the weight room, whether we're doing speed work, whether we're doing agility, whether you, whatever you're doing, it's all about posture. So when I spend time in it... In, probably drive my athletes nuts. But, you know, if we're in the gym and we're doing a front squat or we're doing a clean or we're doing something, we're making sure they've got that great posture. But as soon as we step out on the track, we might be doing change of direction work. We might be landing work. I'm reinforcing the, those exact same thing. A lot of my athletes can never be strong enough through their core. It's not the prettiest, you know, they all want to bench press, they all want to squat, but you've got to be really strong through the core because you've got to be actually tie that in together. Otherwise, you're just going to be leaking power when you're doing a lot of your speed work. So that's probably my biggest take-home point is just making sure you do the fundamentals right and the basics right, and then you can you can start branching out a little bit first and all that's tied back to I'm sure there'll be a couple of people like, oh, what core exercises can I do? What, what would be your recommendation for those? What, what are some classic mistakes you see with core training with footballers and what are some exercises you like to implement in a program? Well, the, to me, the core is just like any other bo- part of the body. You've, a lot of time people will just do a lot of body weight exercise on the core. That actually doesn't really get you stronger. Yeah, it might build up some muscular endurance, but a lot of rotational stuff with med balls, a lot of throwing. And that's great when you've got teams because you're doing tossing over, under, side to side, back and forth, and you can actually make it competitive. You can make it a little bit more interactive with your athletes or finding a wall or you're throwing the ball off it standing on your feet from lunge position on the ground, just being as creative as you possibly can. But again, you say core, but if I'm doing a good front squat or I'm doing a trap bar deadlift, you, you engage your core, you know, if you're doing mm. that the right. And even when I do, a, if I do a, like a, a top end speed work with an athlete, the next day they should actually feel that their core is, is being fatigued. You know, I might sound a little sadistic, but I, I'll walk up to a lot of the players and say, I'm about to punch you in your stomach. Not that I ever would. What's the first thing you do is you tense and you, you lock those abs in. So now when we accelerate, we do our speed work, that's the exact same muscles that I want you. So I want you thinking Paul's a jerk. He's going to hit me. And I want yeah. to lock that core up as you go because otherwise you see them, they bend over and they lose and leak all that power. Yeah, so they go hand in hand, the core and the posture work and, and technique well, like you've mentioned. Yeah. And like you said, the, the basics, not always about the sexy sort of bench press and, and those sort of things, but also just focusing on good quality movement is going to help yeah. you transition on the field. And you've got to have a rationale for why you do things. And that's, you know, you're talking to young coaches, you know, you can get stuck on Instagram or you can see all these fancy videos about exercises. But my big mm. thing is do the basics right first and, and make sure you've got those fundamentals. Or if you're adding those things, have a really good rationale. You know, there's nothing worse than picking up someone's program and asking them why they're doing something and they're like, oh, well, I saw somebody else doing that. I thought it was really cool. You've got to have a progression and a standard of where you want to go and what you want to achieve. And when you mention the basics, what would be some fundamentals for, let's just say, a 15-year-old football male or female? And what would be some big rocks that they needed should be doing? Well, again, it's, you know, I like, you know, squat is a great exercise, but you've got to, for me, you've got to go through a whole progression. So, you know, usually for, for my athletes, they've got to be able to goblet squat first. They've got to know a hand front squat. They've got to want master the front squat before I'll even think about putting a bar on their back and squatting. So making sure they've got great hip flexibility, they've got good flexibility through their ankles, and they can actually handle the weight before you actually load them up. You've got to remember football is played on your feet. So, you know, as much as leg press might be good for a rehab exercise, if you've got a shoulder or a back issue, I would, I'd strongly encourage them, mate, get on your feet, lunges, step-ups, being able to hinge hip hinge, so, you know, your RDLs and different movements like that, just those basic comp. The other thing that drives me nuts is everyone these days, and I'm probably doing it in this, this video, 
So everyone gets yeah. on their computers like this or plays on their Xbox like this and they tend to roll forward. So spend a lot of time working on retracting the shoulder blades, a lot of different rows. One of the things that drives me nuts is you go out to young footballers and they screw up and everyone's on the ground doing push-ups and we wonder why everyone's rolling forward. I'd rather yeah. do a, get off my soapbox for a minute. I'd rather do some core work or some rows to work on that posture a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, fantastic. Well, there's some great things for people. For, and you mentioned single leg work as well. Like I know that's something I've noticed in the gym. People are surprised by how much single leg work we do. But how, how important is that for the football development? Well, you, you think every time you run, you jump, you're actually taking off one leg. You know, you're not standing in a stationary position. You know, unless you may be doing a jump ball in basketball, there's very few times. So being able to have that balance and that's not a, it's going to strength. One, it's great for your quads and your glutes, and, but. The other thing it's going to do, it's going to get the proprioceptors in the ankles and the knees. A lot of time you can get through slightly larger range of motion. So it's actually going to be really good for your flexibility as well. Yeah, fantastic. Coordination and balance. Yeah, yeah. We've got a question through from Coach James Wolf. Beyond the emphasis on power and exercise selection, what kind of differences did you find in the culture between AFL and the US college system? It's very different because those athletes live and breathe and spend all their time in the universe so we're not worrying about other sports i know when i was you know working in the talent pathways you've got to balance cricket you've got to balance basketball you've got all those different things where that was probably the biggest thing i was fortunate because i had a pretty strong thick australian accent that it broke through a lot of cultural barriers over there the players would listen to me and i tried to keep things pretty simple for them not overcomplicate it and, and making sure you're just focused on on what you're trying to do and how you articulate that okay so yes yeah, so you had more time did you with the athletes or there was just less distractions compared to australia less less distractions so the ncaa puts a lot of limits on the amount of time you've got so you know there might be times where you've only got them for nine hours a week or you might have them for three hours a week depending on what's going on so it's and you might have 100 athletes in there so from my coaching perspective sometimes you feel like a traffic cop moving athletes in and out and then you've got to really hone in on what do i need to coach and what, what do i allow so if we're on the wood doing our cleans or squats or lunges i'm going to coach that up maybe some of the accessories i'll make sure they've got the basic fundamentals but in terms of the cultural difference it's probably just a little bit more ex- exposure and ex- importance obviously in college football they understand the importance of strength and power training so they really embrace college basketball is a little bit interesting basketball traditionally hasn't been one that wants to spend a lot of time in the weight room they love getting out and shooting baskets and they're worried about if they get too headstrong might affect their shot. AFL is starting to, to come on board and understand the importance of it. And that's what my role is, making sure that we have those fundamentals. So at the NAB League, they've been exposed to the, to, the, to the weight room and they've got all the basic fundamentals so that when they get into the AFL system, they're not two or three years behind. They can jump in and start training almost straight away. Obviously, they won't be at the same stage because we are in the talent pathways very part-time. We're in the AFL, it's full-time and you've got more coaches and a lot more resources. But just trying to bridge that gap as much as we could. And for those that um, are aspiring to get into an AB League team and want to start getting the, their training routine down pat by themselves, what would be a typical, what would a season week look like? And then what would a pre-season look like for an AB League kid that's in a program? That can be a challenging question to answer because we've got 12 different regions and all of them are so different in terms of some yeah. of the country ones, just the tyranny of distance some of them have that they may only come in once or, once or twice a week where the Metro ones can obviously get in a lot, a lot more frequently. A lot of the time you're doing two main training sessions and there might be a plus two gym sessions. And again, you might go up to three, three sessions, one of those being a craft orientated one might be a, a top end volume type day but the biggest thing for aspiring kids just making sure you're doing the basics right and one of the biggest things you can do is actually sleep 
the biggest, the best way of, of recovering from training, particularly when, you know, for 15, 16, 17, 18, is that you actually need probably, if you're doing heavy training, you actually need a good eight hours of sleep every single night. And that's the best recovery you can do. So if you're up, you know, playing on the Xbox until two or three in the morning and, and not sleeping and not eating, you're doing yourself a disservice. You can do all the training under the, under the sun, but unless you're taking care of the little things in terms of nutrition, your strength, your recovery, that's, that's what's going to separate you from everyone else. Yeah, it's such a great point. And, and like you said, with the training, you want to get in those habits so you can have a better transition to AFL. I imagine the lifestyle will be no different. And it's, they're, the, they're the habits we try and install in the NAB League. So when you walk into, you don't just go walk straight out on the track. You're going through your mobility work. You're going through your activation work, your foam roller. Then you're kicking over a small distance. It drives me nuts when I go out and you might see someone trying to hit a tall from 50 metres. That's just a quad or, or injury yeah. waiting to happen. So making sure they've got all those progressions and steps. And it's the same thing in, in AFL clubs, that making sure you, you do your mobility, you're ready to go. So when the first part of the warm-up actually starts, you're not having to tie your laces or have a drink. You're actually ready to go. And it's, it's all about being professional and driving your own career as well. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for sharing the last half an hour of, of your time with us and, and sharing your experiences and, and stories along your journey, mate. It's been, uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed it and I'm sure many more developing footballers as well as uh, aspiring staff that want to follow the the journey that you have have taken a lot out of it too. So thanks heaps, Paul, for, for jumping. Oh, my pleasure. Good luck. Yeah, yeah, thank you. We'll speak soon. Paul, thank you for listening in, guys. Make sure if you enjoyed this episode to subscribe to our website. You can click the link in our bio where you'll receive a free four-week strength and conditioning program. And to subscribe to our podcast, we're on iTunes, YouTube, and Spotify. And we have a new podcast every Monday that we launch, as well as if you missed this episode and you want to watch the IGTV, the recording will be on our Instagram. Thanks, guys. Till next time. Cheers.